Yes, we've got action. Amen. So we love these songs that we sing, and it's scriptural. We repeat them so that one day, when you're in a moment, you can sing them all over again. Hallelujah. So we saw over the past few weeks that Jesus started talking to people in parables. In parables, He speaks to them. And we know what a parable is. It is a, uh, it is a story that's been put alongside a truth in the Bible. And we learned some lessons out of that. Today, we want to finish the parables in Mark. You find the same parables also in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. But we've been following Mark through and we're following Jesus, how Mark writes about Jesus. And we learn who Jesus is and why He came. That is what it is. And today we're going to just see what He's talking about it. Now, the question is, why is Jesus talking in parables? Why is He talking in parables? Why not straightforward talk to them for everybody to understand? The fact is, He did that. He spoke to everybody in plain, if you want to put it that way, understandable language or in understandable terms. But they then said that He's got Beelzebub. You remember that little incident that happened? The man was mute, he was deaf, he had a demon, and Jesus healed him. And when the demon came out, they said that you are doing that with the spirit of Beelzebub. You've got the devil in you. Jesus started from that day on speaking in parables. For this reason, that they may see but not see, that they may hear but not hear. And remember how many times I've told you, even this morning, my prayer is, Lord, that everybody see but see. And everybody hear and hear. So the disciples asked him in Matthew 13, 10. They came to him the same way. They said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Why do you put a story alongside a kingdom principle or a truth? And he answered to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. And that is so true today. You look in the world and you talk to them about the Bible, they will laugh at you. We are living now in a generation where the children aren't brought up with the Bible anymore. This is a lost generation we're living in. And it amazes me our parents is falling for that trap where they, they don't want to upset their children so they're not going to talk about Jesus. They're not going to talk about the Bible. You see, because of this fact, it's been given to those who seek after it to know the mysteries of the kingdom. We are so privileged. Myself, are so privileged this morning to hear the Word of God. Because you're going to hear today another truth. And this is what he said to them. Remember the parables. It is where we cast that next to that truth. We had the parable of the sower. And the message out of that was, what are we going to do with the gospel? With the seed? What are you doing with the gospel? Are you keeping it for yourself? Or are you giving it out? And the message was that we need to give it out. It was amazing that when Jesus looked over the crowd, that out of that crowd, only a quarter of the crowd listened to Him intentively. They were hearing to hear. Only a quarter of the crowd. And remember what I say, that even this morning it might be true, that only a quarter of people sitting here, I, I hope it's not so, I definitely hope that 100% will listen this morning with ears to hear, but Jesus says when you look over a crowd that only a quarter might listen to hear or hear to listen. 
And then we had the parable of the lamp. And, it, and the question is, what are you doing with the light? Remember, Jesus is the light who came into the world, and we need to shine that light. I remember in Sunday school we had a song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Who knows that song? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. On Monday, I'm going to let it shine. On Tuesday, every day, we need to shine your light. And this is so true. What are we doing with the light? What are we doing with Jesus? The gospel, Jesus. And then last week we saw the mystery of the growth of faith in the life of, child, of a child of God. When he sowed the seed, you remember that? And then when he went to sleep, it started to grow. And there was a word that I missed last week. And it was only when David and myself spoke afterwards that, that it came to me. And that is the thing, is the mystery is, what is the source or the energy that gives life to that little seed? We know who it is. Who is it? It's God. He planted that energy in there. But this is the fascinating thing, that that little seed can lie in the ground dead for days, for weeks. And then just one day, the energy decides where it comes from, I am now going to grow. That is amazing. And we found it amazing. So today we're going to look at the parable of the, of, of the mustard seed. It's a short parable, but I want you to understand one thing, that when Jesus started talking these parables, he had five groups that he had to deal with in his day. And similarly, we have these groups in our day that we as children of God have got to deal with. You see, there's nothing new under the sun. Everything is the same. The challenges that they had back in the old time when we read in the Bible, we've got the same challenges today. There were five groups. They were the Sadducees. You see, they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. And they believed that when you die, that's it, it's kaput. There's my word again, David. It's dead. Now, their message was, let's go ahead. They were the liberals of their day. And let me tell you, one of the things that entered into the church today is liberalism. Let's just go ahead and do whatever. And you see all of these things happening in a world which is now okay, which was not okay even 10 years ago in the church. The liberalism pushes it on. They say we we'll only live for now, so let's live it to the full. Let's just go ahead and do it. And Jesus had to deal with them. That is so sad, you see. And then he had to deal with the Herodians. There was another group in there. The Herodians' message was, let's go with. Let's just go with. They wanted to cooperate with the Romans. And they didn't want to cause trouble. And you've got the same element in the church today. There's so many churches who says, let's just go with the world. We spoke about it this morning. Let's just, go a, let's just go with the world. We're not here to cause any trouble. We're here to make friends. We're here to love the world, and we should love the world. But we should love the world through the love of Jesus Christ, which is a sacrificial love. It's not a, it's not a love that is, you can just find easily. There was a, a really expensive price that Jesus Christ paid for that love. But you see the Herodians said, let's just go with the flow. 
Don't preach sermons in your church which will upset the people. Preach seeker-sensitive. Have you heard that? Seeker-sensitive sermons. Go out into your community and put out a survey and ask them, how would you like to have church? How would you like to have church? And then once you find all of those answers, you build them a church what they want. Is that how Jesus built his church? So Jesus had to deal with the Herodians back in his day. And we have to deal with the Herodians. Then there was a third party there, the Zealots. And Jesus had one of his men was a Zealot, wasn't he? And their message was, let's go against. Let's kill the Romans. Let's take over the government. That's what the Zealots say. And we have the same in the church today. These factions in the church today who say that we need to run for government. We need to see Christians in government. And then we'll change the whole, because you see the kingdom has already come. The kingdom is now. Satan is bonded now. And we should have life and life in abundance. Let's run for the government. Let's put one person in and to run all the finances of the world. The seven pillars they call that kingdom now. If you haven't known about it, don't waste your time. Stick with the word. But these people say, these zealots, let's go against the establishment. Let's establish a perfect Christian society. There's a man in New Zealand. He, he bought a hole. His church bought a whole suburb. And they said, here is only Christians who are going to live in this suburb. You see? We're going to make our own government here. We're going to build our own society here. No, no. We are in the world, but not of the world, Jesus Christ said. So he had to deal with the Sadducees, with the Herodians, with the Zealots. And they were, then there was a fourth group there, these Essenes. Essenes. And these people said, let's get out of here. Let's just get out of here. We're not going to sit with these things. We do not trust any other group. We keep to ourselves. And you find these sects in the church today, don't you? These sects. They keep to themselves, and out of that brews a lot of uh, bad things. So, you see, nothing is new. Nothing is new. And, and, and it is, this is a dangerous one, this last one, let's get out of here. Because they'll get a charismatic leader, and everybody will follow this charismatic leader. And what does the charismatic leader say? I don't want any influence from anybody else. Let's just get out of here on your own. And it's not good. So there is four groups there, but I said five. And I left the last one specifically for last because I want to unpack it a little bit more for you before we get to the parable. These were the Pharisees. The Pharisees. And this is one of the dangers in the church today, the Pharisees. Because their message was, let's go back. Let's go back to Moses. Let's go back to the law. That's what the Pharisees, they wanted to stand on the law. They were strict observance of the traditional and the written law. And they said, if it's not there, we can't believe this. Jesus was standing in front of them, the fulfillment of the law. But they said, let's go back to Moses. You remember when they said to them, Moses gave us manna from heaven? You remember that? Let's go back to Moses. What did Jesus say to them? My Father give you the bread of life. Hey, no, but let's go back to Moses. Here's the bread of life. Let's go back to Moses. And there's a lot, a lot of 
churches today who wants to still stand under the law, regulations. Let's go back to Moses. This is one of the biggest dangers because, you know, the adders, you know, if I bring a sad you see in here and he says to everybody in this church, there's no resurrection, you won't believe him, will you? Because you believe there's a resurrection. And if I bring a zealot in here and he says, let's militize the whole church, will you follow him? No, you won't. Because that's not what you called for. We were called to make disciples. What about the Essenists? If we bring one of those guys in here and he stands here and he says, I want you to pack up everything, give up your job, follow me into the woods and let's go and live there on your own. Are you going to follow him? Some people do, but not you, because you know by now. And we can pick this group off because the Herodians... Let's go with. This is why you're sitting here this morning, because you do not want to go with the world. Am I right or wrong? But you see, the dangerous one here is these Pharisees. Because they say, look, everything is fine, let's just go back to Moses and sit under law. It is there in the Old Testament, isn't it? And this is what it is. Now, Jesus came in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, and he says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to do what? To fulfill it. Now, I want to take that word of Jesus and unpack it for you this morning. What did he mean by that? When he said to these crowds, to the Pharisees, he says, I didn't come to this destroy the law that Moses got it. And by the way, it wasn't the law of Moses. It was God's law that he gave to Moses to the people. It's God's law. He says, I didn't come to destroy it, but I came to do what? To fulfill the law. You see, and this is demonstrated by the gospel according to John. When John writes it down. This is demonstrated by the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke. When you read all of those accounts, you can see clearly that Jesus came to fulfill the law. Have you done that exercise yet? I'm going to do it for you this morning. But first, let me remind you that when I say that it is the gospel according to John, a lot of people think that John wrote the gospel, and they write and Mark wrote the gospel, and they write. They only penned the gospel. Who wrote the gospel? The Holy Spirit wrote it. Let me give you the scripture verse. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture. Everybody say all scripture. Does that include the gospel of John? Yes. Does it include the gospel of Mark? Yes. Does it include the gospel of Luke? Yes. Does it include all of the letters of, of uh, uh, Paul? Yes. Does it include the letters of Peter? Yes. James? Yes. Jude? Yes. All of them. Let's go to the Old Testament. Genesis? Yes. Exodus? Yes. I can go through the whole Bible. The whole Bible is God's book, written by men. Penned, let me say, put it this way, penned by men. But it's God's book. This is His book. That's why it's called the Holy Scriptures. He says all Scripture is given by what? Inspiration of God. Now that word inspiration there in Greek means it's breathed. <sighs> now if you breathe over your hand, it shows you one thing. What? That you're still alive. Am I right? If you blow as hard as you can <sighs> and there's nothing coming out, we've got a serious problem. 
Okay, so this is why he chooses in Greek the word there. He says it's breathed by God. So that means that the word of God is the living word. And he backs it up by scripture. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. He says the word of God is what? Living. It is living. It is alive. And this is what he says there. He says it's an inspiration of God. And what does he do? It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That means if you start reading the Bible, which is alive, it's breathed by God, all of those things will start happening in your life. So that's just a reminder. John penned it but the Holy Spirit wrote it. So what I'm going to show you now is written by God. So, let's have a look at it. I'm going to show you now the new versus the old. And it starts the same as in Genesis. We've got two books which starts the same. One in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning God. Yes? He created the heavens and the earth. In John chapter 1 verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word. Okay, so it's the new versus the old. But it's the same. You say, what do you mean, preacher? He says, in the beginning was God, Elohim. Elohim is a plural God. This is why Allah is not the God that we serve. They say, He's the only God. No, no, we serve Elohim. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. This is important to know. He says it there. In the beginning, God, and you can go and check this out. In Hebrew, it says Elohim. It's plural. And in John, he says, in the beginning was the Word. It says Logos there. Who is that Word? Jesus. Jesus. So it's again the new versus the old. Now, if you open it up a little bit more, we're going to find a fascinating thing. What happened in day one? Then God said, let there be what? Light. The first thing that God said is, let there be light. And there was light. When God speaks, something happens. Somebody shout hallelujah. You want to know why you will shout hallelujah? If God speaks into your life, something's going to happen. We see it. It's evident in nature. And here he says, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. See these? It stands out right in our faces, the old, but it's still new. God called the light, the, 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 the light day, and the darkness he called night. Let's look at John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was what? The light of men. Before Jesus Christ came into the world, the world, you and I, the men, were in what? Darkness. We were in darkness. And here he says, he was, his life was the light of men, and the light shines in darkness, and darkness did not what? Did not comprehend it. Look at this. God divided the light from 
Darkness. And darkness could not comprehend the light. We find this in Genesis, the first book, in the beginning God. We find this in John, the first book in the New Testament. In the beginning was the Word, and He was the light, and darkness could not comprehend it. So darkness is there. And the absence of light brings in what? Darkness. If this place is dark, totally dark, and I bring a light in, what happens? Darkness can't comprehend it. Darkness needs to go. Your life before Christ is dark. And when the light of Christ, the New Testament, when the light shines in, what happens? The darkness can't comprehend it. You see, it's the new versus the old. Now, we're not throwing away the old. But the old is the new concealed. Okay? And the new is the old revealed. Let me continue. When we look in John, we see that we need to read John the same as you read Genesis. As if everything is new. Remember where I'm going. The Pharisees says, let's go back to the law. Let's go back to Moses, the old things. When we come to John, we need to read John as if it's Genesis. If there's some new things here. This is what we need to see. In John, interestingly enough, in chapter 1 and 2, there's seven days specifically put out for us. And in, in, in Genesis chapter 1, there is seven days of creation. This is fascinating, isn't it? Let's look at him quickly. Day 1 in John is the testimony of John the Baptist. You find it from verse 19 to 28. They came to John the Baptist and they say, Who are you? Who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you Jesus? He says, No, I'm the one who makes straight the way for the Lord to come. And then, in John chapter 1 verse 29, he says, The next day. So that is now day number 2. What happened in day number 2? He says, Behold the Lamb of God. That's from verse 29 to 34. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Day 2. And then in John chapter 1 verse 35, he says, And again the next day, John stood with the two disciples. So in day 3 of John, Jesus calls his first disciples, verse 35 to 42. And then... We find in John 1 verse 43, he says, The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and found Philip and Nathanael. And day 4, Jesus called Philip and Nathanael. So we've got 1, 2, 3, 4 days. And we find in John chapter 2 verse 1, he says, On the third day, which is three days from there, brings you down to day 7, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, the mother of Jesus. So we find on day 7, the wedding at Cana. And now, this is the fascinating thing. You go, preacher, you are so with maths this morning. Seven days of creation. Seven days. What I want to show you is you need to read the Gospel of John the same way you read Genesis. These new things coming to you like Genesis was new. What is new here? You say, after this, you can go and check. After you read about where he picks out the days from chapter 2 onwards, he never say the next day or the next day or the following day. or the. It always goes now to when Pointe de Gosse or the day of the booths was here. 
So John is trying to show us something here. Something new. Something new came. Who was that something new that came? Jesus Christ. Remember what he said. I didn't come to take the law away or abolish the law. I came to do what? To fulfill the law. The law is the Old Testament. It's the shadow. He says, I'm coming and I'm giving you something new. Listen, the something new that he gives us over there is here in the Old Testament. You just couldn't see him. Because he was a shadow. All of the things in the Old Testament they were talking about, the temple, the feast, the Sabbath, everything, was a shadow of the real one, the new one, Jesus Christ. You need to read John like you read Genesis. That's how you need to read this book. Like Genesis, God bringing new things in. Now, let me show you the new things that he brought in, okay? First of all, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he says, I didn't come to fulfill, but to destroy, but to fulfill. It's the new versus the old. We see that he brought us in a new sacrifice. In John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What did the Lamb of God do? He was our sacrifice. In the Old Testament, what was the sacrifice? The lamb, animals. And they had to do it. You heard it this morning at the Lord's table, daily. They had to slaughter these animals. And here he comes in and he gives us something new, a new sacrifice. And thank God for a new sacrifice. Why? Otherwise you would have been bringing sheep and animals, not to me, to the temple, if you wanted to be. You first of all had to become a Jew. And then you had to worship like the Jews did. Thank God for the new sacrifice. Amen? So we all accept that, don't we? If you sit here this morning, did you accept the new sacrifice? I hope so. Because the new sacrifice gives you life. Now the Pharisees wouldn't accept the new sacrifice. That's why they want to go back to Moses. Some churches this morning don't accept Jesus Christ as the new sacrifice. They want to go back to the law. What did he give us new? A new temple. Remember in John chapter 2 verse 19, Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What was he talking about? They saw this beautiful temple that was built. What was he talking about? He was talking about himself. You see, they were looking at the old temple. It was constructed in the Old Testament. That whole temple was a shadow of him. And you couldn't find it more clearly than this. They built the temple. Woo, that's great. That's the old temple. Which is that massive thing. It's a shadow of the man which was standing right there. That's fascinating. And he said to them, they couldn't understand it. They say, we've built this thing, it's destroyed, and you will build this massive thing in three days? Come on. Come on, be real. That's my words, by the way. And he brings them a new day. He says, destroy this temple and in three Did he do that? Of course he did. They destroyed it. They hang him on the cross. And what happened? Three days later, he was risen from the grave. 
wasn't he? He was true to his word. So he brings a new temple. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul writes, he says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? How wonderful is that? Not only that, he brought us a new birth. Didn't he? It's all in John. See, you need to read John as you read Genesis. A new birth in John chapter 3, 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is what? Born again. Now, we all sit here, we've got the old birth, do we? You wouldn't be sitting here if you don't have the old birth. That was when you were born through your mom. Yeah? Otherwise, I don't know what's sitting in front of me. But he says, whoa, there's a new birth coming now. What is this new birth? You have to be born again. Otherwise, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So he gave a new sacrifice, a new temple, a new birth, and then he gave them a new worship. A new worship. John chapter 4. He met the lady at the well. And this conversation started, and she says, I behold that you're a prophet, because he's telling her all about her life. And then this conversation starts about worshiping. And Jesus said to her, because she said to him, Oh, we worship on this mountain. Because she was in Samaria and they couldn't worship on the holy mountain. We worship on this mountain the same as you Jews worship on that mountain. And this is what Jesus said to her. He said in John chapter 4, 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. It's not about a location anymore. You worship what you do not know. Oh, that's, that's resounding words. I wonder how many people worship who they don't know in the church today. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. And here comes the word. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in what? Spirit and truth. There's a new, there's a new worship. You see, I find so many Pharisees today, they are there, believe me, and they talk to me, and they say, oh, Jesus only came and He fulfilled the sacrificial laws, not the other laws. And I find no, no evidence in Scripture to validate what they say. But I show you today the old and the new. This is what I'm showing you. There is a new sacrifice, there's a new temple, there's a new birth. You see, when He said, and I, I come to fulfill the law, what did He do? He's not only going to fulfill half of it, He fulfilled a whole lot of it. He made everything that's old new. Everything. And here is new worship. Not only that. This is the contentious one, especially for the Seventh-day Adventist. He says, He gave us a new what? A new Sabbath. A new Sabbath. Look at this. Jesus chose, he, he walks in, he walks in on the Sabbath into a place called Bethesda. And there is a man lying there. And the Bible says he was sick for I think 35 years every time he came to the bath and he hopes to go in there and an angel will come down and heal. But some people go before him into the bath. Think about this. For, for 35 years that man is lying there. He could have waited one more day, couldn't he? But this is the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, Jesus walks in there and what did he do? He heals him. Why didn't he wait for the next day? He heals him on the Sabbath because he was showing the people that he brought in a new Sabbath. A new rest. 
The Sabbath in the Old Testament was assigned for rest, by the way given to the Jewish people to honor and to keep. And here he comes and he says, that's good that you rest on that day, but I'm bringing you a new rest. Who is that rest? It's Jesus himself. John chapter 5 verse 9, he says, And immediately the Sabbath, uh, immediately man was made well, took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. A new worship, a new Sabbath, and a new manner. You remember this one? In John chapter 6 verse 33, they came to him and says, Give us the manna. Oh, Moses gave us manna. What is this? This manna. He gave us this. And Jesus said to them in John 6 verse 33, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You see, again, the old became the new. But it's the same. It's the same. The one was concealed and it's now revealed. He gave them new water. New water on the day of the booths there in John chapter 7. They were standing around on the day of the booths and they had a symbol on the steps there of the temple where they threw water out over the hands. It wasn't actual water. They just had the pitcher and tip it and it was symbolic. And Jesus was standing offside there and he says in John 7, 37, on the last day, that day, great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, what is the key? He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow what? Living water. He gave them new water. Brothers, sisters, friends, madam, sir, I want to tell you, I can go on today to talk about the shadow and the new. And this is important to know. Jesus had to deal with that. He gave them a new light. A new light. Remember in the Old Testament when they came out? What did they have to follow by day? The clouds. And by night, a pillow of fire. And here he comes and he says to him in John 8 verse 12, Then Jesus spoke again to them and says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have light. He gave them a new flock. Think of this. New people. I can go on. You see how wonderful he is, the book of John? You need to read John like you read Genesis. All is new. John 10, 16. And other sheep I have which is not of this fault. Them also I must bring and they will hear my voice. And they will be one flock and one shepherd. And he brought them new commandments. Remember this one in John chapter 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I've loved you that you also love one another. That's a new commandment. So you see again, it's all new. He gave them new wine. How, how far can I go on? New wine. In John chapter 15. Remember in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, Jesus, a God turned to the nation through Isaiah and He says, Israel, the Jews, you are my wine, my vineyard. And here He comes to them and He says, I am the true vine, the new wine. And my father is the wine dresser. And then finally, he gave them a new kingdom. A new kingdom. Remember when I put him in front of everybody and, and he came to Pilate? And Pilate started asking him out about this. He was talking about this. Jesus answered and said, my kingdom is not of this world. 
My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. And let me just say, he is the son of God. He's truly God. They wouldn't want to have a pick a fight with him if he wanted to establish his kingdom as a God deity on the earth. Because if all of these armies would come and come up against him, all the Romans and the Greeks and all of them, fierce battle-hardened soldiers, you know what he would have done? He could have just called one angel. It's an unfair fight. That's not what he came for. That's not what he came for. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. He said, if I was, my servant would have fought you. You look at Peter, you look at James, they've all run away by now. He says, I'm not worried about them. You don't even see my armies I've got. So that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. So in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1, it says, and it proves it, it says, For the law is having a shadow of good things to come. The law is a shadow of good things to come. Who's that good things to come? Jesus Christ. Can you see? I know I went on a little, little rabbit trail here, but I've, you know, the parable is not a long, I can't, preach. I can't pull, draw out the parable for an hour and preach over the parable for an hour. But I felt it's important for you to have this foundation. He had to deal with five groups. All of them were dangerous. All of them tried to cut him out. All of them wanted to water down the message, just like today. But you know what? He always said it is written. Even Satan himself came to him face to face. And he tried to, to pull him down and water down the message. But the dangerous ones is the Pharisees who tried to pull you back under the law. This is why he says, he speaks to the crowd in parables, and in Mark chapter 4 verse 30 then, he said to them, he said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Remember what he said to, to Pilate? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Now he stands in front of that whole crowd, and he says to them all, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? How can we compare the kingdom of God to the kingdom of this world? How can we compare it? And let me say, there's nothing that compares with God on this earth. Nothing. You see, this is the fascinating thing. If you look around you and you think you're so clever and you think you are so strong and you think you are so fast, how many people is in this world? How many billion? Eight billion people. I bet you, you're going to find one guy more clever than you. At least one. Okay? That's very arrogant, I know. <laughs> you're going to find one stronger than you, maybe two. You're going to find one faster than you, maybe three. You see, this is where we live. We live amongst each other. And here's the fascinating thing. You might have been the the more cleverest guy. You might have been the strongest guy. You might have been the fastest guy. But then Father Time catches up with you. And it brings you down. But you see, brother and sister, on God's level, there ain't anybody else. You understand what I'm saying? You see, Father Time doesn't bring God down. There's no other God who can bring God down. He is God and God alone. On His level, there is no one, none. 
Now, how can we compare then anything on this world with Him? Nothing can. Or what parable shall we picture it? And then He brings this parable. He says, it's like a mustard seed. You say, at last, geez, that took us long to get to the mustard seed. But I hope you've got the foundation, yeah? He says, it's like a mustard seed, which when it is sown in the ground, is smaller than all the seeds of the earth. But when it's sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all the herbs and shoot out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. I had a man, literally one come to me and uh, he was saying to me, that's where the Bible, you see the Bible is wrong. That's an error in the Bible. And Jesus is wrong because he said it. The mustard seed is the smallest seed on the earth. Because it's not. There's smaller seeds than the mustard seed. But it's the smallest seed that is made to sow and to reap. And here he talks about that seed. And he says this seed, which is really interesting, is the smallest of the seeds that you sow. It is a herb. What do we know about herbs? Herb is not a food. When, if we go back to Genesis, he made trees in their own likeness, isn't it? What do trees produce? Fruit. And then he made grass. What does grass produce? Well, grass, okay? And then he made herbs. What does herb produce? Spices, isn't it? What do you do with spices? Do you eat spices? Do you see yourself standing there with a handful of spices and eat it as food? You go, I believe if you put some of that in man, it's, gonna, it's not good. What do you need herbs for? It's to flavor the food, isn't it? This is a beautiful picture of his kingdom. You see, when his kingdom came into this world, it was meant to flavor the world. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? You take mustard to flavor. And it's sad to say that the church hasn't done it for quite some time to flavor the world. It's been caught up in politics and all of these nonsense and scandals and all of these things. But you see, we belong to a kingdom which is not seen by the eyes. Yes, we come together as a church. But he knows who's part of his kingdom. It's only those who are born again. You see, the, it brings flavor. It brings food into it. Now, there's two ways that you can interpret this. One is that, yes, it's like a seed and it grows quickly. It grows quickly. And it, it talks here about a big tree, isn't it? It says it grows branches. And it becomes large. Now, what did we learn in the first parable about birds? They represent evil, isn't it? The birds came down and they scooped down and they scooped up. Whenever you read about birds, it's not a good picture. He says in this particular one they were birds, so this is what we learned. He says, but then, you see the words there? It is the smallest sown in the ground, it speeds to grow, but when it is sown, but when it's sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all the herbs, which is good. But and shoot out large branches so that the birds, you see, this is when people come and they try to make the church bigger than it's meant to be. What's the church here for? To preach the gospel, to make disciples, to minister to one another. If you do anything else with the church outside of that, it is these large branches, and what does it attract? It attracts the birds of the air. There is in the Old Testament a point that shows that, you know, the birds is also representing Gentiles, which is becoming true. But you know what? I don't want to think about a herb tree of that. I think of the wild olive tree. 
when he talks in Romans that we are grafted into the olive tree, the Gentiles into, into the Jews. So there's two ways that you can look at this. One is, yes, it will grow, and it did grow. When Jesus spoke about this, it was only 12 of them. Look at the church now. I talk about the true church. It's all over the world. There's millions of people now part of this. But then also there's a danger. And that's when you allow the birds to come and sit in the branches. The problem is a herb was supposed to be a herb, never supposed to become a tree, a big massive tree to attract the wrong things. And then finally, if somebody can just call my beautiful wife this verse. I haven't got more verses than this, okay? Normally I say I've got one more verse, isn't it, Glenn? Then I've got two or three. In Mark chapter 4, verse 33, it says, and, and with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. Where's those parables? You can find a lot of those parables in Matthew chapter 3. In verse 34, but without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. Remember, he's going to explain and open it up to those who come to him. Praise the Lord. That's the parable of the sower. Now, next week, we're going to look at the storm that happened and how Jesus calms the storm. Did we learn something today? Did we see something new out of the old? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your word. It is, it is living, Father. It's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Cuts between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. And I love this part of the scripture, Lord. It says it is the discerner of the heart. Thank you, Lord, for the new that came. That you fulfilled everything. And in you we have freedom. Liberty. Where the spirit of God is, there is liberty. No bondage. Liberty in Christ. Christ.